We're going to turn your attention this morning to the book of Nehemiah chapter 8. And I want to read to you just a few verses of scripture here. Nehemiah chapter 8, I might skip around a little bit, but uh, we're going to read verses 4 through 10. And uh, the scripture says this, And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. A pulpit of wood that they made for the purpose. Beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Urijah, Hilkiah, Maiah. On his right hand and on his left hand, Padiah, Mishael, Malchiah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Mashulam. Praise God. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Yeshua and Bani and Sheribia and Jemin and Akub and Shabbatiah and Hodajiah and Maia and Kalida and Azariah and Jezebed and Hanan and Peliah and the Levites. You know, I thought we could probably skip those, but... You know their names are in the Bible. They were there on that day. So we're going to go ahead and let you know who they were. Amen. Caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book and the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the Tirshatha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God, mourn not nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet. Send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord, neither be ye sorry. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. I want to take our message today, and I'll be preaching from that very first verse that we read when the Scripture says that Ezra stood upon a pulpit of wood which they had made for the purpose. And I would like to talk to you about the purpose of the pulpit. The purpose of the pulpit. Could we lift up our voices unto God? And I ask that we pray for the preaching of the word, that the Lord will anoint the preaching of his word, that we will receive it in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for every person that is gathered in this place. I thank you for that beautiful visitation of your spirit that is more than just a visitation, but a habitation. And God, we thank you that this is a place dedicated to you and to your name and to your great word. And I pray in the name of the Lord that you would minister abundantly of the grace of life. Let your word go forth with clarity. Let it go forth with accuracy, with love, wisdom, boldness, compassion, and all the good things that you would, that you would approve. And we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. What an honor it is to be able to stand here today and declare to you the word of the Lord. And I stand behind this pulpit, and as, uh, as the Lord would, the Lord would uh, direct, I uh, stand behind a lot of pulpits and preach, but I will tell you that this is the, this is the pulpit that I most look forward to and yearn to preach from. This pulpit that stands here before this great congregation of people. Uh, you are an amazing congregation of people. I love Tree of Life Church. And when I say Tree of Life Church, I'm talking about each and every one of you. You are the church. And I just, I just thank God. I, the scripture that Paul wrote, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. And and I can so relate to that. I, there are times I just sit around and thank God for every one of you and, and your families and, and the blessing that you are to the work of the Lord and to the kingdom of God. And, and uh, just it, it, there's such joy every time that I see you worshiping. I see you uh, finding victory and, and, and experiencing the presence of the Lord in this house. And so it's a, it's a beautiful view from this from this pulpit, and we call it the pulpit, 
um, colloquially, we may refer to it as, uh, as this sacred desk. Uh, we call it the sacred desk because it's logistically configured so that it can provide an ample space for uh, the laying of the Holy Bible. And, and then it's, it's tilted. You'll notice it's just kind of tilted in such a way that the person standing behind the pulpit can, can read and can take note of what they're declaring. And that Bible that, that this desk holds is the only thing we have the authority to preach. Uh, we don't have any authority outside of that. Uh, it's, it's that book that gives us, that gives us uh, what we need to know and what we need to follow. And so we, we thank God for the pulpit. And, uh, and the Bible uh, talks about it in this passage. And interestingly enough, this is the only place that it's referenced. Um, it, is, it, is a, um, it is mentioned, as we read in verse 4 of Nehemiah 8, Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, and they had made the pulpit for the purpose. And, and it, was, it was for that day, and it was for that moment, and it was for that purpose, and it served a good purpose. The children of Israel were uh, captive. They were exiled. They had been taken forcibly out of their homeland, removed from their heritage. Their names had been stripped from them. They were given new names that were completely antithetical to what they believed. They were named after heathen gods, uh, most if not all of them. And, the, and they, they had to purposely and intentionally keep their identity. And they did so through the preservation of their names among themselves. Um, and they did so through the recitation of the law of God. But if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that uh, throughout the history of Israel, they struggled to do that. And so there were, there were generations that would arise. One particular verse of Scripture that is so troubling to read from Judges chapter 2 says that uh, there arose a generation that knew not God, nor the works which he had done for Israel. And what an absolute tragedy that is, that, that God who had performed so many wonderful works for the children of Israel, that there would ever arise a generation that wouldn't know him, that, that there would ever arise a generation that would not be familiar with the stories of how he had worked among the people of God. We have to tell the stories of what the Lord has done for his people. And by virtue of losing their history and their heritage, uh, they, 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 would, they would sink into idolatry and they would worship the gods of other nations. And, and so the scriptures describe this happening here and there. And it happens in the passage that we've read. And there is a determination upon the uh, people that we read about, Ezra and Nehemiah and the Levites. And the names that I read to you uh, that maybe we haven't heard before or are very often there was a determination upon these good people of God that we are going to restore God to Israel. We're going to restore the, the work of God to Israel. And so one of the ways that they did that, if you know Nehemiah, which you, you may or may not, but Nehemiah was the great builder, rebuilder of the wall around Jerusalem. And that was a part of the revival of the temple that was coming. And it was a part of the revival of the wall. And it was a part of the revival of Israel. This passage of scripture is the account when not only were they reviving the wall and the temple and all of these things that were going to come into effect, but they were going to bring the people back to the law of God. It was supposed to be read in their ears every year, but they had slipped from it. It was supposed to be rehearsed and recited often, but they stopped doing that and they fell prey to the idolatries of the nations around them. And so in this passage, they built a pulpit of wood, and they set it up for the purpose. And, and the Bible says that Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, and then parenthetically it lets us know that he was above all of the people, and that when he opened it, all the people stood up. And we still have this practice in place today in the church. 
and the pulpit stands, as you can see even here, about three or four steps up, and it stands tall, and it's, again, it's configured in such a way that it can hold a Bible, a notebook, it can hold all kinds of other stuff. If, 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 man, if, if this wasn't as clear as it is, we'd have all kinds of stuff down here that just all sorts of, have a little, uh, just a whole little world going on down there. And uh, man, you can have songbooks and offering plates and anointing oil and handkerchiefs and uh, mints and all kinds of stuff that you can have under, in those shelves of the pulpits. And, and, it's, and it's up, why? It's got a practical purpose. It is a practical purpose. The practical purpose of this configuration is so that everybody can see what is happening. Uh, because it's that important. What we're reading, what we're declaring is that important. It's important that everybody can see. There's a reason why there's a, a decline of the seats, uh, why the seats kind of configured downward so that, so that you can have a view wherever you are in this room, that you can have a view of what is happening here. Uh, but we have to understand and we have to be careful that we never conflate or mix up the practical purpose of the pulpit with the spiritual purpose of the pulpit. And, and that, we, that we get those confused and we think that the spiritual purpose of the pulpit is for everybody to see who and what is going on in terms of people. Because it will be people who stand behind this sacred desk as we may call it. And the people who stand here or there or here or anywhere, it can never be, the spiritual purpose can never be so that all eyes can be upon us, so that all eyes can be upon the person who is holding this position and standing at this sacred desk. It is not the spiritual purpose that eyes be upon the person. That's the practical purpose. The spiritual purpose is what is being imparted from God to his people. These words are spirit and they are life. And that's why whoever stands behind this desk needs to do so after prayer, after fasting, after having a purified heart and a purified mind so that their angst doesn't come into what they're saying, so that their personal preferences and all of their, all of their feelings don't get caught up in it. They have to be in tune and aligned with what God is feeling and what God would say and what his word would have us to understand. I've often said we have to preach what God lays upon our hearts, not what gets on our nerves. And we have to be able to separate this fleshly man, this human temple. We have to be able to move him aside and say, okay, Lord, purify my heart, purify my spirit, guard my mouth. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight because we are handling the word of life and we have to handle it skillfully. And I'm gonna tell you, you don't have to have a ton of degrees in order to handle this word of life. Some of the greatest messages that I have ever heard that have reached into my heart and soul and helped to form Christ in me came from people who had fourth grade educations or less. Because it's not about human intellect, it is about the anointing of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, I don't get me wrong, I thank God for every educational advantage that we can take advantage of and that we, can, that we can employ and we can leverage. I thank God for all of that, but we have to have that in proper perspective. It is all to achieve the purpose of this pulpit. And that purpose of the pulpit was accomplished in Nehemiah chapter 8 when they preached the word of the Lord. The Bible says that Ezra, when he stood up, all the people stood up. These are, these are traditions we still have today that uh, occurred in this passage, that when the book opened, all the people stood up. And uh, if you'll notice, even now, when we read the word of the Lord, it's, it's just like people just want to stand for the reading of the word. It's a show of respect. If you can't do that, please don't feel like you're being disrespectful. We understand people can't always do that. And so, uh, we, but we do tend to just, we stand for the reading of the word. The people stood up. Ezra, here it is. He blessed the Lord. He blessed the great God. And you know what the people answered? The people said, amen. Amen. 
Hallelujah. They said, Amen. Amen. With lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then when they, the Bible says that they read in the book of the law of God distinctly, and they gave them the sense, and they caused them to understand the reading. And then the people wept because they, they heard the law, and it was the first time they'd heard it in a long time, and it, it struck them, and they wept, and it was a mournful weeping. And it was in that context that they stood to say, weep not, this day is holy unto the Lord, do not mourn, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. We ought to thank God for every time the Word of God comes across this pulpit. Now you have to understand that I am a, I am a, uh, my goodness, I'm sixth generation on my, on my uh, mother's side, and I'm fifth generation uh, on my uh, father's side. My, my, my children are, rather. My children are sixth generation on my mother's side and fifth generation on my father's side. And my grandchildren then are seventh generation and are sixth generation respectively from my mother's side and from my father's side. I am so blessed with my sister and my brother and our family to have a heritage that is rich, that is precious. And uh, our great-grandfather was a man who suffered great persecution along with his brothers. They suffered in the, the, the ancient land of Persia. They were from Persia, but they were Assyrian. And he was an immigrant then, and he suffered at the hands of the, the Armenian genocide that took place 100 years ago, he and his brothers. But when they came back, when they came to America, they came to America to, to bring what they, they thought would just get an education. But when they came to America to get that education, it was, it was something else waiting for them. Andrew Urshan received the gift of the Holy Ghost in Chicago, Illinois. His father sent his brother, his son, Andrew's brother, to go straighten Andrew out from receiving what he had received from this religious group. And, and when Timothy got there to help his brother straighten him out, he, um, he received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And they went back to Persia and they preached the gospel and all of the village received the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost was being poured out all across the village. And they suffered at the hands of genocidal maniacs, at people who were, were torturous. It was, it was very similar to some of the things we see with ISIS and Hamas today. And they, they saw it, they experienced it. Many of their family members and loved ones were, were, were murdered and martyred at the hands of these, of these, uh, at these genocidal uh, people. And they ended up going to Russia and preaching the gospel in Russia. The word spread throughout Russia. They came back to America and they preached the gospel. My great-grandfather's son was in a Urshan. Nathaniel A. Urshan. He was, he was born in St. Paul, Minnesota, and he ended up living in Chicago, Illinois, in New York City, and he began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't want to preach the gospel at first. He wanted to be a medical doctor. He went to medical school, and at Columbia University Medical School, my great-grandfather walked into his room one day as he was suffering from tuberculosis, and people were dying left and right. His lungs were so damaged that he thought he would, they didn't expect him to make it. But when Andrew Urshan walked in, he said to him, where to now, Jonah? Where to now? At that, my grandfather accepted his call to preach the gospel, and he started preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he ended up going to Calvary Tabernacle, and this was the pulpit that he preached from at Calvary Tabernacle in Indianapolis, Indiana. It's... It's currently in the process of being restored, and it's, uh, and it's uh, precious to me and to our family. Um, he wasn't going to stay at Calvary Tabernacle. He was going to leave because about a year and a half after getting there, uh, the former pastor came to back to the city, and the former pastor had left the truth and was, and was starting to pull people out of the church that my grandfather was pastoring. He loved the former pastor, and, and he, he, he really... He really looked up to him, but the former pastor had left the message, left the truth, and was now dividing the church that my grandfather was pastoring, and he was going to leave. He said, I can't do this. This is too much. He said, I got to go to the church and pray, and when he went to the church to pray, 
he arrived and there was an old man sitting on the steps with a cane. He was leaning on the cane. My grandfather was about 30 years old and he saw this old man sitting. It was like 4.30 in the morning. And uh, he looked at the old man, got out of his car and he said, hey, uh, sir, I said, uh, do you need something? Can I help you? He said, well, I'm here to help you. Can I ride with you in your car? Will you talk with me? And they ended up talking together and, and that old man began to prophesy to my grandfather and said, you can't leave the church. You can't leave this place. God has sent you here to Indianapolis, Indiana on purpose. You're going to see a great revival. He gave him five prophecies, five distinct prophecies, all of which came to pass. And he shared with him for several minutes there in the car. Finally, he said, would you uh, drop me off now? I, my job is done. My grandfather said, well, let me take you home. Where do you live? I'll take you home. He said, no, I don't need to go home. Just drop me off right here. He said, we're in downtown Indianapolis and there's nothing open. There's no place for you to go. He said, I'll take you home. No, I don't need to go home. Well, can I take you back to the church? No, don't. I need to get out right now. Well, sir, what is your name? He said, my name is not important. You don't need to know my name. He said, I want to know your name. He said, my name is three score and 10. And he stepped out of the car and my, my grandfather just simply shifted the car from park to drive and, and tried to give him a courtesy wave goodbye. The man was gone. He'd taken his eyes off of him for a, a matter of seconds and he stepped out of the car and looked for the man, but the man had vanished and was gone. He never saw him again for the rest of his life. And, and yet that man is the reason that he stayed in Indianapolis and preached from this pulpit for many years. Many people preached from this pulpit, Brother T.F. Tenney, Brother James Kilgore, Brother G.A. Mangan, Sister Vesta Mangan, Brother Anthony Mangan, Bishop Sizemore preached from this pulpit, the Pasleys preached from this pulpit, this was a, this was a, Brother George Glass Sr. preached from this pulpit, this was, this was a special thing. Grandpa preached from this pulpit, one of the prophecies that the man gave him, he knew then, he realized this man was in fact the angel of the Lord, but one of the things that he told him he would do is that he would preach to the nations. He would preach to the nations. And, and so he stood behind this pulpit and launched what became known as harvest time. Does anybody remember harvest time? Does anybody remember the harvest time radio broadcast? It stretched around the globe. And my good friend, Brother Rashidi Collins, who was originally from Jamaica but was not apostolic, he was Anglican. He said, I was Anglican, but he said, all of Jamaica listened to Harvest Time. And, and it was, a, it was a, a, a radio broadcast that stretched around the world and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ all throughout the world from this pulpit right here in Indianapolis, Indiana. I love this pulpit. I feel like I'm connected to Grandpa when I stand next to it. I don't know why, but just knowing that he stood here and preached the gospel. The clock is broken. And that's probably by design, just, you know. <laughs> that one's not, so don't worry, it's, we're all right. But there's something special about this sacred desk. From it came the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news to whosoever will. From it came sound doctrine. From it came a statement of faith, a statement of faith that said we're going to stand when all the winds of doctrine are trying to toss us to and fro. There was a man that used to come and hear Grandpa preach in Indianapolis. He would come on Sunday nights because he was pastoring a church himself. But he would come to listen to Grandpa preach and in the 50s, he approached my grandfather, and my dad remembers it. Dad was just a little boy, and he remembers this man that would come to hear Grandpa preach. He was a pastor in Indianapolis, Indiana. And he, he came to Grandpa one night and said, I need to talk to you. I want to talk to you. And so they went to the office. What the man wanted to talk to my grandfather about was his desire to meet Father Divine. Father Divine was a cult leader in New York City. And uh, he, had, uh, he had a spell on people, really, and made them believe that he was a god. And my grandfather knew Father Divine from being in New York City. And uh, this young pastor said, I want to meet Father Divine. I want to pick his brain. I want to know how he operates. And my grandfather said to the young pastor, he said, you want to stay as far away from that man as you possibly can. 
because he said he will, he will corrupt you and there'll be a spirit of confusion and delusion to get upon you and you need to stay away. And it bothered the young pastor and he was angry. In fact, he stormed out of my grandfather's office and, and, and stomped off in protest out the front door. My, grandfa- my father was eight years old watching this happen. And uh, the, the young preacher turned around to my grandfather and said, when you're pastoring on this little street corner in Indianapolis, one day the world is going to hear about me. His name was Jim Jones. And the world did, in fact, hear about him. As he went down the path, Grandpa warned him not to travel down. And he ended up into a total delusion and killing many people. But from this sacred desk came a word of truth and a word of clarity, a warning. You're going down the wrong path. Turn from your wicked ways. Lord, don't ever let us stray from the purpose of the pulpit. The purpose of the pulpit is not to be seen. The purpose of the pulpit is not for flesh to glory. The purpose of the pulpit is not for folks to look upon whoever stands behind it and to uh, make it iconic or idolized. No, the purpose of the pulpit is to preach the word, to be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. When Ezra the scribe stood up to preach the word, the law of God, he began to give the law of God and give the people the sense of the law of God. And as he did, the people, the Bible said, they said, amen, amen, they said, amen, 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 amen. I thank God for a church that will say amen. I thank God for elders who will say amen. Hallelujah. I thank God for a a, a people that will understand that the promises of God are yea and amen. The yea comes from the pulpit, but the amen comes from the proverbial pew, if you please. There's this one thing to stand up here and say, thus saith the Lord, but there's a certain power that comes into play when the people of God stand up and say, we are in agreement with the word of God. We believe it and we trust it and we put our confidence in it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't ever stop saying amen. It doesn't matter who's standing behind this pulpit. We're not into personalities. We're not into personality-driven preaching. We're into the Word of God. If it's the Word and it's holy and it's pure, that's what we crave. That's our daily bread. I'm going to tell you what, Tree of Life Church, we're not built on a personality or a personality click or anything of the sort. We're built on Jesus' blood and his righteousness. We're built on the solid rock of truth. He has built his church upon this rock. And that's the rock that the gates of hell shall not prevail against. Lord, help us, help us, help us never to stray. I've got, I've got the transcripts of his harvest time messages. I've got the transcripts. I love to just go read them and see Jesus. Grandpa had a philosophy. He said, preach Jesus. He went to Idaho to preach a revival and nothing was happening. Nobody was receiving the Holy Ghost. Nobody was getting baptized. Nobody's, no, nothing, no, no miracles were taking place. We're baptizing somebody today in Jesus' name. Thank God for that. We hope we'll baptize more than just one, but we're thankful for the one. Amen. He called his dad, Andrew Urshan, and said, Dad, I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm, I'm doing everything I can. I'm praying. I'm fasting. He said, are you sure you're praying? Yeah, are you fasting? Yes. Nobody's getting the Holy Ghost. There's no breakthrough. He said, are you, uh, are you doing outreach? Yes. You're inviting people to church? Yes. We're doing all we can. He said, well, then there's only one thing to do. He said, preach Jesus. Okay, I'll do that. I'll do that tonight. What do I preach tomorrow night? He said, preach Jesus again. Well, what do we do the next night? Preach Jesus again. Lord, let us never forget or forsake the purpose of the pulpit. The purpose of the pulpit is to preach Jesus. The purpose of the pulpit is to preach Jesus. That's all we can preach. We don't get to preach anything else. We don't have the liberty to preach anything else.
We don't have the authority to preach anything else. If we're preaching worship, it better be in the context of Jesus. If we're preaching giving, it has to be in the context of Jesus. If we're preaching holiness, it has to be in the context of Jesus. If we're preaching love for God or love for one another, or if we're preaching sacrifice, it's all about Jesus. I know nothing among you. Save Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm so grateful to my grandfather for his preaching of the word. And he passed that down to my father. He, he preached the word for many years. And uh, he preached the word Calvary Tabernacle. But he passed that, that, that legacy down to my father who took that legacy. And my father was somebody special. He was the grandson of Andrew Urshan. And, and, and he's the son of Nathaniel A. Urshan. They were both such mighty men of God. My father at the young age, he didn't want to be a preacher. My dad didn't. He wanted to, he wanted to be a school teacher. He got his education to be a, a, actually a, uh, he was trying to be a professor. Grandpa wanted to be a doctor. Dad wanted to be a professor. And, uh, and both got called into the ministry. And uh, dad began to minister the word of God and it wasn't necessarily from the pulpit he was very stage fright but he but he loved the word of God and he would preach the word of God to whosoever will and and the people that he preached the word of God to one of them was his college professor and uh, this was Dr. Weber and Dr. Weber was a theology professor in Indianapolis who did not believe the total truth of God's word he had a he had a, an understanding of some things, but there were things that, like Apollos in the scriptures that he needed to understand more fully. And my dad was a young student in his class, and dad listened to his teachings, and afterward he went up to him and he said, Dr. Weber, I would love to sit down with you and share with you some things that the Lord has shown me. And he began to teach to him the oneness of God and a beautiful Acts 2.38 message. Dr. Weber came to Calvary Tabernacle and heard George Glass Sr. preach from that pulpit, obedience is better than sacrifice. And he went down to the front of that house and lifted up his hands. This theology professor who had been teaching the Bible, a scholar of the scriptures, but he lifted up his hands and said, Lord, fill me with your spirit. And God wonderfully filled him with the gift of the Holy Ghost. He spoke with other tongues as the spirit gave the utterance. He was baptized in Jesus' name. And that 19-year-old student, 19 years old, that student in his class led him to God. And this great teacher of the scriptures wrote in his annual Christmas letter, he gave all the details of what their family had experienced. But he said, he said, the greatest experience this year was by far the greatest experience of my life. He said, I received the Holy Spirit that I have been teaching about for so many years. He said, if I could put it into words, I would tell you that I was Cornelius and I met the apostle Peter. That was my dad. He did the same with the editor of the Indianapolis Star, not from a pulpit, but just in casual conversation, he preached the same message. Because ladies and gentlemen, you've got to understand the purpose of the pulpit the practical purpose of the pulpit is for those that are gathered to be able to see. It's for large gatherings to be able to see over the top of one another and be able to understand what's going on. But the spiritual purpose of the pulpit is not relegated to the pulpit. It can take place over a dinner table. It can take place over coffee. It can take place sitting in a waiting room. It needs to. It can happen at a cubicle. It can happen on a car ride. It can happen on a plane trip. It needs to. The purpose of the pulpit is not relegated to a pulpit. And this is the pulpit that my dad preached from in Kokomo, Indiana at Zion Tabernacle. This means so much to me because I, I had the view that you have looking up at this pulpit. I've got the front of this thing memorized. This is beautiful painting that Sister Helen Kunzman painted. She was the former pastor's wife before we went to Kokomo to pastor. She so beautifully painted and it kind of matches our theme. It's got leaves and fruit and, and I love the crosses and I saw so many preachers, but the J.T. Pugh preached from this pulpit and that pulpit. And 
I remember distinctly, I remember Brother J.T. Pugh preaching from this pulpit. I'll never forget the message that he preached, the removal of humiliation. And I remember him saying in that message, he told the story of a dream he had. And in the dream, he, he was walking across a, up to a cemetery. And, and, uh, and as he walked into the cemetery, he saw grave diggers. They were exhuming a body out of a grave. And uh, when he looked at the headstone, it read Lucy Pugh. That was his mother. And, and he saw that, and it, it, just, it just shocked him in the dream. And he said, what are you doing? They said, we're exhuming the body of Lucy Pugh. We have reason to believe that she died by poisoning and that her son is the culprit. That would be him. He said in the dream, no, no, that's, that's a lie. That's a lie. But when he woke up, he woke up with a terrible shame and a guilt and a condemnation, totally unwarranted, but the devil was just attacking his mind. He had the exact same dream the second night and the third night, the exact same dream as condemnation began to, to, to just move its way through his spirit. And finally, I'll never forget him. He slapped this, slapped this little piece right here and he thundered. You don't always have to be guilty to feel guilty. And I remember hearing those words, that truth of God's word, the exposure of shame and condemnation and it's horrible, horrible poison that it tries to pour into the hearts and minds of God's people. I, I, I felt so strengthened by the word of God. I remember one particular day my dad was in this pulpit and he was making announcements. He, the service was underway. We were in the middle of a revival with Brother Mike Anderson. And while he was standing making announcements in the middle of the service, the back door flew open. And a lady came running in. She had a house coat on, and under the house coat was a nightgown. And she was running down the middle aisle, frantic, came running up to the pulpit. My father's standing here like I was. She grabbed him by the lapels. The pulpit leaned over. Let me be careful here. It kind of like, kind of like that. It leaned over. And she said, baptize me now. I have to be baptized right now. She was sitting in her home and she heard an audible voice say to her, get up and go to the church and be baptized in Jesus' name. I, I'll never forget it. I was just a little kid. But I want you to understand, Lord, don't ever let us stray. Let us stray from, from the machinations of the, of the business of the church. There's a business element to the church, and it's important, and it's needed, and we have to tend to it. And by tending to it, it makes it easier for everything else to function. It's an important apparatus and infrastructure whereby the Spirit can flow freely. But Lord, let us never conflate the practical with the spiritual. Never let us get confused by the reason we have this here. It's not for us to be seen, but it's for your name to be known, and it's for your truth to be understood. The Bible says that they gave the people the sense of the law. They caused them to understand the law. That's the purpose of the pulpit. The law of God is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The judgment of the Lord is true and righteous altogether. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Whenever it may be that the Lord will take me on to glory, my hope and my prayer is that there are people that sat under the sound of my voice that will love the law of God. God. I want you to love his law. I want you to love his law. I don't want you just to do things because you feel pressured into it. I don't want you to do things because you feel guilted or manipulated or intimidated. No, I want you to see the beauty of his name, the glory of his nature. I want God to peel back the heavens from this pulpit. Lord, let your word thunder in this house to where we can see the power and the might and the glory and the beauty of your salvation. If God puts it in your heart, no one can take it away. If I force it into your, into your behavior, it will be easily dislodged over time. But if I can somehow preach this word and utilize 
this practical piece of furniture to the extent that we can get the law of God in your hearts, nothing will be able to dislodge the word of God from your heart. Lord, let us never forget the purpose of this pulpit. I love and I'm so grateful for my father who preached from this pulpit despite such terrible hardship in life. He never stopped preaching. He was horribly wounded by people who should have never done those things. They were, they were, they were, they were actually adversaries and they wounded him sorely and deeply. He never let it affect the way he preached the word of God. He never let it poison his family. He never let it, he just preached the word of God with my mother by his side. Thank you to my father, my grandfather. And they put it in our hearts. And when I was a little boy, I was, I was, uh, my, you know, somebody asked me one time, they said, how do you know, how did you know that, uh, when did you know that you were called to preach? And I, um, and I said, I don't remember, I don't remember ever like having a moment where I knew I was called to preach. I just always knew that I was called to preach from, I, I it was in me. Nobody told me I was, I just, I, 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 as soon as I knew stuff, I knew I would be a preacher, and, uh, and so, but I was horribly stage fright, and I wasn't good at preaching, and I, and I wasn't able to, to really, I wasn't able to really preach very good, but I'm, I want to introduce you to a little friend of mine here. <laughs> this has been with me as long as I can remember all my life. Some of my earliest memories in life are of this little pulpit. It was built for my dad when he was five years old. It was built by C.P. Kilgore. C.P. Kilgore was a great pioneer, trailblazer, preacher. C.P. Kilgore was famous for preaching and starting churches all through Texas and Arkansas and Missouri and Louisiana, he just, Oklahoma. He would build churches and, and turn them over to people and go to the next town and do it again and do it again. One, one great story about C.P. Kilgore, a couple great stories. One is he went down to the old, down to the old uh, pond there in Cunningham, Texas. I've stood at this pond. And they didn't have any place to baptize people, so they took him down to this little pond. But that pond was known for having poisonous snakes in it. And so Brother Kilgore said, everybody stay in your cars and stand back. And he walked down into the middle of that pond and stood in the middle of that pond and all of the snakes began to slither out of that pond and away, they ran for their lives. And once the last one got out of there, he said, all right, you can come on in, we're gonna baptize you in Jesus' name. <laughs> the undertaker came to pick up a man who had just died and his mother, his wife said, I'm not, I'm not gonna take him to the mortuary until we stop by Brother Kilgore's church. Brother Kilgore was preaching from a pulpit and, and they brought the, they stopped, she stopped the service and said, my husband's dead, Brother Kilgore. And he walked out in the middle of the service, got in the back of the hearse with that man for 20 minutes. And when they opened the door again, he and the dead man came out. The man was alive. Yeah. This, see, these, these are the stories that helped form me, and I've heard them from these, from these pulpits. That's the purpose of these pulpits. It's, it's to help us understand who God is and what he can do. And Brother C.P. Kilgore made this little pulpit for my dad, and my dad gave it to his kids. And this pulpit is interesting. It's got some markings. There's a, I don't know if you can see it, but there's like a little magic marker marking there. A little magic marker marking over here. Because this pulpit wasn't just a pulpit. It was also a pirate ship. <laughs> and I would get in this shelf and my brother would get in this shelf and we'd sail the good old gospel ship Go fight the bad guys. Or maybe we were the pirates, maybe we were the bad guys. I don't know which one it was, but. But this is as familiar to me as anything in life. And it was from this pulpit that I started preaching. 
I preached and nobody was there to listen. I would place stuffed animals in front of it. If my friends came over, they were in bad luck. They were going to get preached to, and they were going to have to preach too. <laughs> we all preached. I preached. They preached. And we amened each other. And I couldn't preach in front of people. I remember that first time that the Holy Ghost came on me. I was 10 years old. And, uh, and, and, and it was the oneness of God that, that brought me to a place of, of being prepared to, to preach. I, it was in my spirit so strong, so deep. It, it, I had to get it out. And I, I went to my Sunday school teacher and I said, can I, can I just, can I preach to the Sunday school class? And uh, she said, uh, yeah, that'd be fine, Joel. What do you want to talk about? And I said, I, oh man, where do I start? I got so much. And I did. I went a long time. Now, I know y'all, that surprises y'all that you, you don't expect me, you, you don't expect me to go very long. And and um, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. It was all over the place. It wasn't well ordered. And, but you know what's interesting? Because we actually have that video somewhere, and, and we're, trying to, we're trying to get it under lock and key and, and make sure that it's never viewed. But, um, but it was, but I, I, I remember in that moment, I didn't feel any different then at 10 when I preached than I do now. The spirit that was in me to preach is the same that it is right now. I remember, I remember those moments when God began to show his word and reveal his word and the oneness of God became so apparent and I started to understand that the Lord, he is God and it, it, it excited me to tell people that the Lord, he is God and that the Lord our God is one and that you can repent from your sin and you can be baptized in his name and be filled with his spirit and he can change your life. And I started preaching with my dad when he was, when he would go travel places and preach, I would preach with him. I would preach to the children. He would preach to the adults. And uh, I wasn't any good. I, I, would, I, I was nervous. I was stage fright. I was scared to death when I would get in front of people. And then it was, it was in 1994, it was 30 years ago uh, this year, that I stood up in Huntington, West Virginia to preach to the children. And something came on me. I was 14 at the time. Something came on me. I was familiar with it. It was what I felt when I worshiped God, because I would worship the Lord in the dance. I would worship the Lord with shoutings and praise. Uh, and, and that same anointing of worship came on me while I was preaching. And that's when I realized I don't have to, I don't have to be an orator. I can just worship. I can just praise God. And I started praising God to people. And that's still what I do today. I'm just praising God to you. That's all I'm doing. He's a holy God. He's a righteous God. He's the Savior. He is the great I am. He's the altogether lovely. I can do that. I'm not a good speaker, but I do love to praise his name. And, and, and that was when the revival opened up. And I, they invited me to come back and I preached at the age of 15. Ladies and gentlemen, when I was 15 years old and started preaching, something changed in my life. We saw miracles. People got out of wheelchairs. People, deaf ears were opened up in that first revival. One lady was healed of a, of a life, of a years long rheumatoid arthritis condition. It was, it was a couple of months later, I went to Houston, Texas, and a lady came up. She was blind. Her, her, her eyes had been decimated by sugar diabetes. She had not wept from her eyes in a long time. No, no tears had filled her eyes because of the damage that had been done to her tear ducts. And when we prayed for her, tears filled her eyes to the point she thought she was bleeding. And we said, oh, no, no, you're not bleeding. That's not blood. But, but I remember later I thought, oh, man, I should have said, yeah, that's the blood of Jesus that you're feeling. It's like, man, I missed good opportunity there. Some of, my, some of the greatest miracles I've ever seen in my ministry happened when I was 15 years old. And when I was 16 years old, some of the greatest miracles I ever saw occurred in my teenage years. I saw them with my eyes. I saw them from a pure heart. Lord, I don't ever want to get away from the purpose of this pulpit. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. I, it doesn't matter to me how, how, how much we grow. I'm never straying from the anchor that this pulpit is right here. This is where it started, and this is where it stays.
Listen, we, it doesn't matter how many campuses we have. It doesn't matter how many people end up coming to Tree of Life Church. We're growing. We're going to fill this house, and we're going to fill other campuses, and we're going to start new works. That's underway right now, developing plans to start new works. But you hear what I'm telling you. We're never going to get away from simple consecration. We're never going to get away from simple faith in Jesus Christ. If I Listen, if I can't kneel, if I can't kneel behind a pulpit. I don't want to stand behind a pulpit. If I can't be my God. We don't need to try to be so big that we forget where we come from. We come from the basics of the truth. We come from the purity of the gospel. We come from sound apostolic doctrine. We come from the spirit of the living God. Listen, who hath bewitched you that you think you can start in the spirit but be made perfect in the flesh? We must never believe that lie. What started in the spirit can only be completed by the spirit. Ezra gave them the sense of the law of God and he said, listen, he preached until their heads bowed and their hands lifted. That's how we have to preach. We have to preach till people's heads bow and their hands lift. No, none of this heads high, but hands low. What a symbol this is. What a symbol. Yes, it represents surrender. It also represents, here are my hands, Lord. Take me. Use me. God, what can I do? How can I help? Keep your head low. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about his glory. It's about the souls he wants to reach. It's about a city he wants to save. Somebody stand with me right now with uplifted hands and bowed heads. Uplifted hands and bowed heads. Hallelujah, Brother David Jordan, Micah said, Grandpa, I'm 10 years old. Brother Urshan was preaching when he was 10. He said, when I tell my, my classmates about the Lord, and witness to them, am I preaching at 10? He said, yes, you're preaching at 10. Preach on, preacher. Teach on, teacher. You may, listen, don't worry about who's behind the pulpit. Don't worry about ever getting behind the pulpit. That may happen. That may happen. But that's not the purpose of the pulpit. The purpose of the pulpit is preaching Jesus, showing Jesus, giving the sense of the word of God, helping people know what Jesus has done. No, we thank God for the practical usage of the pulpit. But you know, I mean, it's, it's just in its rawest form. It's, a, it's just a piece of furniture. It could be a pirate ship. It's about what happens on it and around it that sanctifies it. Tree of Life Church, I love you and thank God for you. I thank God for your uplifted hands. Hands that say, Lord, here I am. Take my hands, take my feet, use me, Lord. Hands that say, who can I help? Hands that say, who can I, who can I reach? Who can I touch? Who can I help? But heads bowed, heads bowed saying, Lord, it's not about me. If my name is never known, you don't know how tempted I was just to skip over all those names that are hard to pronounce. They'd have been fine if I did. Do you know how many times they've been skipped over? It wasn't about their name. It was about what was happening that day and how many people were being led to God. It's not about our name. It's about His name. That's the purpose for everything we do. I don't know everybody's background story, but I do know all of you have a little place, experience with God. You all have some place where you, where you got so close to God before it was about anything else. It was just about you and him. 
Before there were any lights, before there were any crowds, before there was any stage, before there was any confusion, you remember that quiet place where you were able to kneel in the solitude of your talk and walk with God. I want you to come back to that place. I want you to bow your heads and lift your hands. I want you to let the law of God get in your heart again. I rebuke the work of the enemy that has come against you in Jesus' name. I'm opening these altars for some people who want to get close to what the real purpose is all about. You want to get close. You want to get close to what it was, what it was like when, when it was just you and God. Yeah. Sorry, I don't, I know this doesn't look sophisticated. It's all right. Me and this pulpit, we've been through some things. We, I love this little pulpit. Not because of how beautiful it is, but because of the purpose it represents. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Come back to where it started from. Pound the pulpit again. Kneel down again. Pow your head again. Lift up your hands again. Lord, if you can use anything, help me, God. Take it from what it became, Lord, and let it go back to the purity of what it was always supposed to be. That's what this consecration month has been all about. That's what this consecration has been all about. I'm taking this pulpit with me everywhere I go. I don't care what country that I'm preaching in. I don't care what meeting I'm preaching in. I'm not going without this little pulpit. This is what it's all about for me. Prayer. Willingness to do the work of God, Lord. Lord, I didn't get into this for the wrong reasons. I got into this, Lord, with a pure heart. I don't ever want to lose the purity. I don't ever want to walk away, Lord, from the purity of where it all started and what it's really all about. The purpose of this pulpit, let it be alive. Let it be alive in our hearts, oh God. I want some young people right now. I feel like God's calling some people into some deep waters right now.
sol. 